Praise God. That was just a wonderful, uh, just wonderful singing. I'm, I'm, I always miss uh, being here with you, beloved. Um, when I'm not here, I, th I think about uh, our time together and, and just being able to sing praises. And uh, such a small group makes such a joyful noise. You, you really uh, give honor to the Lord. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for God's word and the opportunity that we have to look at it in a, in a bit of um, depth this morning, so I invite you to take your Bibles and uh, turn to uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, the first letter to the Thessalonians, and our uh, Lord willing, we'll be looking at verses 13 to 18 this morning. We've been on this little study uh, regarding the topic of faith. We've taken a little break from the Gospel of John, uh, Lord willing, and in a couple weeks, we'll pick back up in the gospel, but so far, if you've been with us, we've uh, looked at uh, Daniel's obedience of faith from Daniel chapter 1, so we considered what did that look like, being in exile and, and being obedient uh, in faith to, to God in, in the midst of that. We looked at um, David's heart of faith, so what does it mean to have faith and what's the really the heart behind that, that God... Um, calls us to, and we, we saw that in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 to 7. And then we looked at Paul's confidence of faith from Philippians chapter 1. What does it mean to have confidence in God's work in our lives and in what's going on in the world, advancing the gospel? That faith is confident in that. And so this morning, we're going to look at Paul again, but we're considering the Christian's hope of faith. Christians, hope of faith. What, what, is, that, what is that hope that, that we have in, in Christ and, and what is to come? And so that's what we're uh, looking at this morning. And so here in this passage, we'll read it in a minute, but uh, Paul is transitioning here from this topic of sanctification. He's been talking to the church in Thessalonica about. And he gave some practical guidance on uh, sexual purity and on brotherly love. And here he's moving to this topic of grief and bereavement that the church had that among these believers. And, and it related to their understanding of the second coming of, of Jesus. And so Paul is going to help them think through that by reminding them of the hope that they have through faith in, in Christ. And so this idea of hope, when we think about it in, in, the world, in the world and culturally how it's used, a hope can be used as a desire for something that's good in the future. So uh, I've used this example before, but when a, maybe a child wants to go to a baseball game with his, his father or something, or in our case it would be a hockey hockey game, because we're Canadian, half Canadian, but the child can hope that he goes to the game, or, or it could be referring to something future, some future thing we desire, in, in other words, that while that is a, a hope for something in the future, in this sense, it's a, it's a hope for a particular thing, an object, so like an expecting a mother and father of a, of a child may hope that the child is born healthy, and so the hope is attached 
to, to the child. And we hope for things in this world all the time. Different things come and they go in life and we hope it's good or we hope it works out. And, and in that sense, hope, there's always a level of uncertainty to it, an, an uncertainty to that kind of hope, whether the baby's healthy or I go to the, or I go to the game. A kind of a crossing of your fingers. I hope that it works out, but there's no guarantee. When we talk about Christian hope, the kind of hope that Paul is talking about in this passage, it's very different. It's a, it's a certain and a confident hope. Or you might say it's a secure hope of salvation that we receive by Jesus Christ alone, by faith in him. And so Paul is going to lay the foundation for them of what that hope is. And this is all going to come out of verse 14. It's going to lay the foundation of what that hope is for us as believers. And then he's going to talk about what that hope entails. So what is the foundation of our hope? And then what is that hope? What, what comes with that hope? What does it entail? Okay, those are the two points, if you're taking notes, uh, that we're going to address. But let us hear God's word uh, read again from uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I will read from verses 13 to 18. Uh, hear the word of God. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. That is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love and for the promises of the gospel in Christ and for the hope that you have given to us. We ask, Lord, that now as we explore this passage, your word in a bit more detail, that you would uh, bless us, and as your Apostle Paul says here, that we would encourage one another with these words, that we would be reminded of the greatness of our hope in Christ and the security of it and what it ultimately means for us as children of God. Uh, we ask for your grace and for the presence of your Spirit to bless us and to strengthen us and to remind us of our hope in Christ this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it seems that 
if you're going through this letter, that these Thessalonians, they somehow got the idea that all of the believers would be present at the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Remember, the Christ had come, the gospel had been preached. These are new believers, very, very new believers, even in the scope of the church, right, through the history of the church. This is like the, the first, first generation of, of Christians. And so they got this idea that all believers would be present at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul had taught about uh, this doctrine uh, for a short time while he was there. You can see that in chapter 5, verse 1 of this same letter. He's like, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. So he's saying, like, I've told you this before. I've explained this to you before. But there were some of the things that Paul couldn't cover. Like, no one can cover everything in the scriptures, right? Uh, no pastor, no, no uh, minister can preach about every topic in perfect detail on everything. And even Paul, as he's ministering to the church, there's, there's I mean, he's going to give a more full explanation of everything than anyone else could, but he couldn't even cover every topic with every church all the time. And so, um, so they didn't understand certain things about the resurrection of the dead. And um, this confusion was probably also heightened about the resurrection of the dead when you consider their background as Gentiles. You read in Acts how, some of, how a lot of the Gentiles, even specifically here in this area, they mocked the resurrection. They thought it was foolishness. They, uh, so these are the people they're saved out of, a group of people, Gentiles, that think re the resurrection of the dead is foolishness. And so they're having these struggles as a church and as new believers um, understanding these things. And so what probably happened is when some of their loved ones had died, they weren't quite sure how to make sense of it. They're, they're thinking in their mind, what about, you said that Jesus is coming back. He's the Messiah. We thought we're all going to be there when Jesus comes back. What about our loved ones that died? You know, there's all kinds of persecutions and things happening. Um, um, and so people are maybe even dying for the faith. What happens to them, they're thinking, when Jesus returns? Are they going to come with him? Or maybe they're thinking, did, did they miss out on the second coming? Will they finally be saved if they aren't in the second coming? And is there still hope for them? So these are the kinds of questions that they're thinking about. They're, they're wondering and, and pondering. And so these are the kinds of questions that Paul is now moving in to encourage them in that kind of grief and confusion. That's what this passage is really about. I mean, in some, some places, even, you know, that you might have been in other churches, sometimes you, people will approach this passage and, and it ends up being all kinds of charts and, and uh, different things organized and structured about the return of the Lord and when is he coming and when is the rapture and they're trying to time his return and this, this chapter and this section has got all kinds of things um, and speculations attached to it. But at the end of the day, when you really stop and look at what is this passage really about, this passage isn't about 
charts and the timing of Jesus's return. It, it's a, he's not trying to teach them about the timing of the resurrection or the sequence of the rapture. Paul's aim here is to encourage them and to comfort them in their grief. Like this is what he really wants to get home, to remind them of their hope in Christ. And you can see that just in how the verses we read in, in verse 13, you could look at this bracket of this section. Verse 13, he doesn't want them to grieve as those who have no hope. Like this is what he's addressing. And then he concludes the section with what in verse 18? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the point. It, it's, you don't encourage one another by charts and speculations and graphs and all this stuff about Jesus' return. You encourage them by reminding them of their hope. And that's what he wants us to do with this passage. And so he begins it in, in verse 14. He lays that foundation of our hope. So what is the foundation of our hope of faith in Jesus Christ? And he says in verse 14, uh, verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Why? What's the foundation? Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Our faith in Christ, the, the foundation of our hope, is that Jesus died and rose again. That's the foundation of all that we believe. Like Paul will say, if Jesus did not die and rise again, then your faith is futile and you are still dead in your sins. And so people in the world in which we live, they lay a foundation for hope in this life. That's the, that's the question for us as believers, right? Our foundation is not laid, our hope, the foundation of our hope should not be laid in this life. But that's what a lot of people, a lot of people do. Their roots are so deeply, and this is important, think of roots of a tree, they, they sometimes are, for the world, are so deeply planted in the soil of, of this world that they, in a sense, are still hoping for heaven on earth. They look at the world and they look at their life and they plant their roots and they hope that in this life they will receive heaven. But the reality is, as Christians, we know this, that this world is what? It's passing away. So everything you can hope for in this world, everything you want to place your roots deep in to build a foundation of hope, it's passing away. And all the hopes of the world are ultimately passing away because the scriptures tell us that the world and even our own bodies are what? Are under a curse. And so the world, Paul says, is groaning. 
it's groaning. Even the world wants to be redeemed from this curse and this, and this corruption. And so the day's going to come when the world will come to realize the weakness and the frailty and the emptiness of all those things that they want to lay and build their, their hope in. And when you do that, at the end of the day, when your life is over and you have to give an account, at that time, it's too late. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes judgment. So if you've placed your hope in this life, then when this life is over and your hope is gone, there is no other opportunity. You could think about I thought about, actually, Esau from the Old Testament. Do you remember Esau when he came in from the field and he was exhausted and sold, what, his birthright to Jacob? And what did he sell it for? He sold it for a bowl of soup. And then when he wanted to get it back, he couldn't obtain it. That's what Hebrews talks about, Hebrews 12. 16 to 17. Then you can also think about, I mean, lots of people, but you could think about uh, Judas. Judas had the Lord of glory before him, three years spent with Jesus, the hope of life. And what did, G, what did Judas believe would give him a foundation in this life? He believed 30 pieces of silver would give him what he desired and give him a foundation. And so he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He bought a dying hope for 30 pieces of silver in exchange for the Lord of glory, the, the hope, hope eternal. So destitute was his hope that at the end, he became so hopeless that he actually killed himself. That's, the, that's what happens to the soul that refuses Christ and has their hope tethered to this world. Keep your fingers crossed. That's the hope of the world. Keep your fingers crossed that your soul, after death, it'll be well with your soul. Keep your fingers crossed and I've met a lot of people as I've shared the gospel with. Keep your fingers crossed that I've done enough to get into heaven. There's people that think that. They, they'll say, I'm going to heaven because I'm pretty good. Keep your fingers crossed that at the judgment seat, God will not hold your sins against you. Keep your fingers crossed that maybe, and we talked about it this morning, maybe when I die, I just cease to exist. Fingers crossed. Or keep your fingers crossed, which is the most foolish of all according to the scriptures, keep your fingers crossed that when I die, there is no God. This is the hope of the world. When the world dies, these are the things that they're hoping that, that's all that there is for them to hope in when they die. Because 
all the things in the world are going to be gone, and you're going you're gonna to have to give an account now, and you can hope and keep your fingers crossed for all these things, but at the end of the day, that is what Psalm 49 verse 13 says is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Well-worn path of many in the world, but it is a foolish path of those who have foolish confidence. That is not how it is for us as Christians. In Christ, we as Christians do not fear or grieve death in the same way the world grieves death. Why? Because Jesus died and rose again. In other words, we have a Savior who is living, who took the sting of death for us by his death, which atones for our sin, and through his resurrection. Jesus, when he died and rose again, he took the condemnation that we as sinners deserve that we would receive after death. He took that judgment. He took that condemnation on himself when he died. And when he rose again, that was God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And his life was seen as a life of perfection and beauty and grace and love and righteousness that at the end of the day he could find that all of those who are in his son are justified with his son as he rises again from the dead. And so when you believe in Christ, you believe he died to take your sin, but he was raised for your justification. And so we know that in Christ, we have been delivered from death and we've been delivered to life. We have a savior and a shepherd and a mediator in death. And when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we are walking through that valley of the shadow of death with him who died and who rose again. And so our hope is with him. Now, do we grieve in death? Yes. Death is painful. It's sad. It hurts. We mourn with those who mourn, but we do so in light of the gospel. Jesus conquered death for those who believe in him. He's the foundation of our hope, and he's a living hope, not a dying hope. Now, we talked about the certainty of the Christian hope. It's grounded in Jesus's death and resurrection, okay? There's a certainty in this, and, and I, I thought about it like like this. When we think about our hope in Christ, here's, here's the thing, beloved, and here's what you currently have in Jesus. Currently, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have the forgiveness of sins, right? You, you are forgiven. Your sins are removed from you. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed 
our sins from us. You will never not be forgiven of your sins as a believer. That's good news, right? You have currently a new heart. God took out our heart of stone and he gave us a heart of flesh so that uh, we are new creatures in Christ. This is a current reality for us as believers. Now, we don't always live in light of that truth, but it's, it's a present reality that you have. You currently have, you're not like hoping for something in, that's sure in the future, but you currently have fellowship with God. You've been reconciled to him. So you have communion with God. You can come before him in prayer. This is a, a hope that we have now present in this life. Jesus has forgiven us of our sin. He's atoned for our sin. He's justified us before God. He's, he's given us communion with, with God the Father through him. And, and we have all of those things secure in Christ right now. But here's the one part of our of our secure hope, those things that we currently have, there is something in, in our lives that is still future. Something we, we will not experience in this life with all the hopes and the things we have in Christ there is still something yet future, some hope that faith points to that will one day, that hope is secure, but one day it'll be consummated and we'll actually realize it. And it's the hope that, that faith entails that Paul talks about here to those who have lost their loved ones. You see, Paul goes on to say, that he doesn't want them to grieve as unbelievers who have no hope because those who are united to him by faith and are alive in him but die physically have the certain hope of returning with him when he comes again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's saying physical death is not the end of the road for believers. It's the first step to our more glorious final state, which is to come when our bodies are risen again and prepared for glory. This is that hope that not only do we in this life look for, but you understand that those who have died and have gone into the presence of God, that they too, right now even, are looking forward to the redemption of their bodies when they're reunited. That, that's a little, it's kind of, thinking about it's a little bit, I think, outside of our purview. That they are fully satisfied in God, but yet, their redemption is still somewhat incomplete because they haven't been risen again and their soul reunited to their body. And so this is the hope that Paul is reminding them of. He says, we believe Jesus died and rose again and all the blessings of that, even so through Jesus, I want you to know, beloved, that God's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, 
The word fallen asleep is just a euphemistic way of saying that they have died. Jesus didn't just die and rise again, and, and I think this is important for us to remember. Jesus didn't just die and rise again that we might die in peace. That's not the whole purpose of the gospel is so that when you die, you can die with a sense of peace. Like it's okay. You can go and you can die. Feel comforted in your death and you comfort people and you can die in peace. Jesus didn't just come for that. Jesus came that we might live forever with him in glory. That, that when we die, we understand that it is not the end of our life, but it is the continuation of that life that God has given us in Christ that we will live with him forevermore. And, and that's what we've been talking about and we saw in John 17. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? His high priestly prayer, we've been going through that. Jesus says in verse 24, as he's praying to the Father, his prayer is, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. And so when we die, this is why Paul says we've fallen asleep. It's appropriate because at the end of the day, even in death, we are still very much alive in Christ. We're dead to the world, but we're very much alive in Christ when our body goes to the ground. And so Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And Paul says, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And then Philippians, for, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better and so they're asleep, and yet they are still, they're now in the presence of God, and yet they're still waiting for something else to come. And the reason is this, that our body and soul were never meant to be put asunder. When we were created, we were created in the image of God with body and soul. And they were never meant to be separated. They were meant to be together. And until that happens, we're still waiting for that final day. And that's what Paul is encouraging them here. He's saying, don't grieve. Don't, don't grieve as those who have no hope, though yes, it is sad. But because Jesus died and rose again, we know that he has conquered death 
And we know that when Jesus returns, he's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And then he goes on to explain it. He says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, so you're alive when Jesus returns, he says, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. That means we won't go before them into the presence of the Lord. We're not going to go before them. He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And he says, and the dead, those who have died before he came back in Christ, will rise first so they will be caught up. Then we who are alive, who are left when he returns, will be caught up. And then he says, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. All of us together will be redeemed and caught up and we will be changed. And our bodies, our corruptible bodies, whether they are in the grave They'll be risen again and changed into an incorruptible body. And those who are alive, our corruptible bodies, will be changed into an incorruptible body with body and soul being united and resurrected in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have. And, and I was sharing this in the Sunday school room, and that's what makes me, when this kind of dawned on me for the first time as I, I thought about this, it really excited my soul when I thought about heaven. Because sometimes in our culture, people think about heaven, and they think about it in the sense of comic, uh, comic books. So when you read the comics in the newspaper, or you read something, and there's this depiction of heaven, where, where you have the, the clouds, and you have the harp, and you have this airiness about our final destiny, where we're just sort of these floating souls or beings in heaven with music playing in the background, and we're just sort of getting out there and floating with a big light around us. And that's how we and our culture thinks of heaven. This is why people will write songs like uh, heaven about heaven sounding boring, or who was that famous Crosby singer or someone that just recently died, and he said something about heaven is overrated and cloudy, and then he died like three days later, right? But it's because they think about heaven, and they, we, we don't think about heaven in, in the physicality or what I've said many times here before, the weightiness of it. Like, we will be there with bodies, and as I see you today, and you see me, and we eat together, and we sing together, and we talk together, and we walk and we enjoy the presence of God, we are going to be enjoying him with the fullness of our body and soul. That makes heaven a place I want to be. Because it is not some fairy tale, but it is paradise. It is the city of God where we walk with him. And we see Jesus. And we can touch him. And we see our God. And we know that we are loved by him and saved by him. This is the hope that we have in Christ. And, and this is why in other chapters that Paul is talking about this hope, 
Paul says, and he refers to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits of those who have died. And you know what Paul means by that when he says that? He's talking and referring to when the Israelites presented the first fruits of their harvest unto the Lord. They, they gave that to, to the Lord as a thank offering. And then it was consecrated.